Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Well, good morning. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Our reading today is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 21. I will finish with, this is the word of the Lord, and you will reply. Oh, we can do better than that. Come on. Come on. We're going to try it at the end, okay? We want to make sure you're awake for Eric. Okay, 1 Timothy six seventeen. Follow with me up on the board. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New King. And uh, <clears throat> as you heard, we are finishing up First Timothy. And I want to tell you, First Timothy has made a tremendous difference in my life. There's a little verse uh, back in chapter 4 where Paul says to Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. And he's telling that to this young pastor named Timothy. And the idea behind it is that we as pastors and elders at New King, we haven't arrived. We're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out. We are progressing. We are a work in progress. The same as you. And I want to tell you that 1 Timothy has blessed me in multiple ways, and I'm so thankful that we chose to go through it. I hope it's blessed you. Now, um, what is 1 Timothy about? What is 1 Timothy all about? Paul writes a letter. This is going to be probably the last time you hear me say it. If I delay... I am writing this. Remember this, chapter 3, verses 14, 15, 16. I am writing this so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. I trust that five years from now, you remember When I was a young Christian, I had a man pour into me, and one of the first things he did was, he said, Eric, you've got to know your Bible. 
You've got to know the books of the Bible. You've got to know what they're about. And he made me memorize for every New Testament book a little phrase. And it helped me to this day. Oh, I want to know about X? I, I go to this little book. It helps me to find things. And I trust that you'll remember that this is what First Timothy is all about, how to conduct yourself in the house of God, the house of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And it's all about our godliness. Remember that part too. Not goodliness, but godliness. Our devotion to the gospel will affect our conduct. The mystery is now revealed. Jesus has come. He has died. He has risen again. He is seated at God's hand in glory. And the more we understand that, the more we get that into our hearts the better our conduct will be. It's not rules and regulations. It's devotion to Jesus. You remember all that? So now we come to chapter 6, finishing up the last five verses of chapter 6. So I just want to remind you, chapter 6 is in two parts. The first part talks about uh, bad teachers and their bad teaching on money. The second part, starting in verse 11, talks about good teachers, specifically Timothy. And now we come at the very end of the book, at the very end, to good teaching about money, positive teaching about money, correct teaching about money, encouraging teaching about money. So that's what's before us today. So uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump into the verses. Uh, Father God, please help me this morning to clearly bring this message about money so that we see that our devotion to Jesus is the first step and our generosity is the result of our devotion. Help me to clearly bring that forth from the scriptures. Prepare our hearts for this subject. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the plan is to go down through these verses, tell you what they mean, and then at the end, in the conclusion, I'm going to do two things. Number one, I am going to show you an example from Scripture of some people that gave some money and what that looks like. Then, final thing, I am going to apply it to us today. How do we give? Who do we give to? Very practical advice on that. Okay? That's the idea. So starting off in verse 17, Paul says this. As to the rich, or as for the rich in this present age. As for the rich. Who are the rich? Who are the rich? We might read that, we might hear that, we might think through and kind of look around the congregation and say, yeah, there's probably a few rich people in here, right? There's probably a few, right, that are, that are rich, that are really wealthy and all that, and so maybe that applies to them. And I can just kind of zone out a little bit until Eric's done talking, and I don't have to hear any of this. Well, I want to tell you that in Scripture... There are three categories for money. 
three categories. Now listen to this very carefully. This is very important. The Bible talks about the poor, first of all, the poor, the destitute. They don't have enough for food and for shelter. Their money falls short. They might not have enough food for the day. They might not have shelter to get in and out of the rain. They don't have enough. That's category number one. Category number two, the Bible talks about, are those that have just enough. What they have is sufficient for the day. You with me? You've heard this before, right? You've heard Jesus talk about this. They're sufficient. They have just enough, right? So those that don't have enough, those that have just enough, how many categories did I say? There's only one left. What could it be? Those that have more than enough, right? Those that have more than enough, those are the rich. They have a bank account. They have money for tomorrow. They have money for the week. They have money maybe for the month. Maybe they have money for the year. They have more than enough. And so that's our category, isn't it? We're, we're the rich. Most of us here, the majority of us, have extra money, don't we? We have more than enough. And let's face it, we do, most of us, the vast majority of us. We have money in the bank. We drive home from New King. I'm hungry, let's go get a bite to eat, and we go. And we do that. We go spend some money, and we eat. We see something on Amazon, and we click order, and we buy it, don't we? We, we have money in a bank account. We, we need a car, we go get it. I, I mean, that's how I live. I, I confess to you, I have more than enough. And I need something, we go get it. This passage is for me. Right? This passage is for you. Now, it's really interesting. I was talking to somebody just before we started, and, and she works in a situation where she takes phone calls for people that are struggling with money. And I don't want to minimize that. This winter is going to be hard. There are going to be people, maybe in this congregation, that are going to be cold. They can't turn the thermostat up to 70 or 68 or even 60. And they're going to be cold. It's going to be hard. I don't want to minimize that. I really, really don't. There are, there are funds for you. There is help for you within this church. Just know that. So I don't want to minimize that. But the rich, those that have more than enough, we're the richest country, the richest society that's ever lived. Paul is talking to us. So, very serious. Everybody's all quiet. Nobody's jumping up and down saying, Amen, brother. I get it. <laughs> and if you're visiting here, we didn't just wait for this Sunday for you to come so we can hammer you about money. No. It is a serious topic. God cares immensely about your money. 
He really does. And I'm going to show as we unfold this passage what that kind of looks like. So, so Paul says, okay, the rich, as for you, the rich in this present age, he immediately puts it in terms of eternity. He talks about the present age. He's immediately thinking ahead. He's immediately talking about money, the rich having more than enough in light of eternity. As Christians, our conduct now in this present age, in this life, has implications for the new age, for eternity, the next life. How we conduct ourselves, our conduct in the household of God now has implications for the future. You have to understand that. You have to know that. The parables of Jesus teach this over and over and over. Scholars say there are 39 parables of Jesus. Between 12 and 14, I didn't look them all up. The numbers, I'm not sure. Talk about money. 12 out of 40, 12 out of 39, or 14, talk about money. Luke 12, the rich fool. Remember that guy? Remember the rich fool? He had got a bounty of crops, and what does he say? Oh, I'm going to share it with all my poor neighbors. He doesn't go there, does he? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build bigger barns. I'm going to get a bigger bank account. I'm going to send it off to the Cayman Islands so I don't have to pay taxes on it. I'm gonna, I, and then I'm going to have more and more and more. And what does Jesus say? Oh, boy, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So that's, that's the dilemma. That's the two sides of money. Is it for self or is it for something else? God, right? So that's the parable of the rich fool. And then as the passage unfolds here, as for the rich in the present age, Paul says to Timothy, charge them. Now again, young pastor, young guy, the rich in that community, that Christian community, were probably, you know, the higher people in society. And Paul says, okay, Timothy, you young guy, you go to them. (laughs) And you charge them two things to be careful of. Two things. He says the first, not to be haughty. Not to be haughty. Superiority. Not to be superior. Uh, Proud. Arrogant. Looking down on others. We love social stratification where people are on different levels, don't we? We love to be on levels. And we love to go up a level and up a level and up a level, don't we? Something in us. And our material possessions, we tend to show our superiority. Houses, cars. Boy, I got a lot of cars at my house. It's bad. (laughs) We... We want to show it off. We want to drive by and see and have people say, oh, yeah, there's Eric and another one of his old sobs. He's restored, you know. It, it's so easy, isn't it? 
We don't even think about it. The point of this is to just get it in your mind. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't be haughty. Don't be superior to others. And then after superiority, Paul says, I'm going to talk about your security. Your security. He says, okay, as for you, the rich, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So that the temptation is for us to be superior, to be proud when we have money. We're also tempted to set our hope on that. We tend to look at it as our security blanket, don't we? So I retired from uh, many long years in, in aerospace a couple of years ago now, and um, I had a, some money in a 401k, and my wife, Annette, said, what are you going to do with that money? And I said, well, I'm going to roll it over into an IRA. And she said, well, how safe is that? How secure is that? What happens if everything falls apart? And I said, well, if everything falls apart, it falls apart, you know, but we've got to do something with it. Well, why can't we just put it in the bank? And I said, well, you know, the banks could fail. And she went down this whole list of things, and I came to the conclusion that nothing is secure. And she said, well, let's go bury it out back. (laughs) (laughs) Now you all know that, don't you? My money is not secure out back, is it? You guys are going to be out there digging away. So the second temptation that we have is to put our, our security. It is very uncertain. It is very, and you guys know that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. It is wrong to do it. We need to put our hope in the living God, don't we? In the living God, not in our bank account, not in our 401k. And you know, the funny thing is, so I'm preparing for this sermon, and, and my, my dear wife and I got into a, a little bit of a disagreement about money. This week, and we had a whole morning of talking, trying to talk through it and trying to figure out where we are with our finances. And here I am talking about this this Sunday morning. So, again, I'm trying to show my progress. I'm trying to say that I don't have it figured out. I'm the same as you are. And it's not easy sometimes, right? So, so set your hope on the living God, not on the uncertainty of riches, right? It is God who is trustworthy. It is God whose promises are sure and are certain. It's not Bitcoin. It's not 401k. It's not even your paycheck. I hate to say it. It could change in a moment. It's very uncertain. And he is the ultimate provider of everything that is good. And we are to enjoy it, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. How many of you are enjoying what God has provided for you? How, my brothers and sisters, show some joy for what God has done in your life. It is so easy for us to be negative so easy for us to not count our blessings but count all the bad things and there are bad things there are struggles it is hard life this life is a hard life and for the majority of us 
We're going to lose all our friends and all our family. We're going to die, and it's going to be gone. Right? I mean, seriously. Enjoy the blessings that God has provided. I mean, think of the worship this morning. Again, Lucius and the team that, that sang for us this morning. I was almost in tears that last little chorus there. It's like, man, Eric, pull yourself together. The fact that we can be here on a Sunday morning in Vermont, singing at the top of our lungs, and some of us even raising our... I had a hand halfway up. I'm trying to raise my hands. <laughs> raising our hands in celebration of who God is and what he's done for us. Let's have joy. We have it. Let's, let's keep at it, right? So then Paul says, okay, there's these two negative things to worry about, superiority and security. And now he says there's six things to do, positive things. And so one of the things that happens with money, you know, you read about all the bad things from the beginning of the chapter and it pierces us through with many pangs and the love of money and all that stuff. And so as Christians, we swing from one side on the pendulum to the other. And there's people that would teach that money is bad and that we as Christians should sell everything and be poor. And you can buy books on that. You can find all kinds of teaching that poverty is a really good thing. I've heard, I was in a church one time where they said, well, we want to make sure the pastor is the poorest guy in the church. No joke. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, he should be dependent on us. No, completely wrong, right? So what happens with us is we swing the other way, and instead of the prosperity gospel where God is going to bless us, the more we're devoted to him, it's a, it's a means of gain. Remember all that from last time? We talk about the austerity gospel. The austerity gospel can be just as bad, that we need to just, and we look at the, at the rich young ruler. We read that little, little vignette, and this man comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, okay, go sell everything that you have, right? And we say, oh, that must apply to us. That must be us. And Christians will teach that that's what we need to do. We need to be poor and that that's a really good thing right and we forget that these little stories jesus somehow gets to the heart of each person doesn't he for this rich young ruler, it was his it was his bank account and he says go you've done all this other stuff great now i want your heart go sell what you have remember the woman at the well john chapter 4 what happened there? Jesus has a little discussion. Then he says to her, go call your husband. And it's like, oh boy. <laughs> She's found out, well, I, I've, got a, I've had a whole bunch of husbands and the one I'm living with now. So Jesus calls out the, the issue with her heart and it was sex. Right? And so we can't take every situation and say that applies to us. There were a lot of rich Christians in the early church. And there's a lot of rich Christians today. Money is okay if we don't become proud, we don't lust for it, and we don't think it's the thing that we put our security in, right? So what are rich people, what am I, what are you supposed to do? Six things. Verse 18. They are to do good. He doesn't say sell it all. Get rid of it all and give to the poor. He says, do good. Take the riches that you have 
and do good. You have something extra. You're in the third category. You have more than enough. That is an opportunity for you to do good with it. It can be used for good, right? So that's the first thing. To be rich in good works. Not riches for the sake of the money, but riches and or riches for yourself, but rich in good works. It takes the, the, the lens off of you and your money and how it's impacting you, and it turns to see how your money can impact others. It takes the focus off you and your wealth and the temptations that surround it and say, okay, I do have a little extra. I do have a little bank account. I do have a little more than enough. Maybe I can do some good with it. Maybe I can bless some other people. To do good, to be rich in good works. Number three, to be generous. To have this, this mindset of generosity that I am, and then it goes on to this, the next one, to be ready to share. Ready. I love the thought of being ready. Are you ready to share? For years, I haven't done it in the last few years, but for years, I used to, in my wallet, how many people still have wallets today? I mean, I don't know. In my wallet, I would keep a 50 and a 100. I'm not kidding you. So that if I came across someone in need, I could say, well, you know what? I've got a 50. I can help you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Right? Our preparations usually are for ourselves. We go grocery shopping for ourselves. We get our food for the week. We pay our bills. It's a turning outward. Are you ready to give? Are you prepared for it? Are you thinking it through? Do you have a plan in mind where, you know, I might see someone at New King today, and maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're worried about the heating bill. Man, I, I, could, I could bless them. I could help them. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you even thinking about it? Eric, think about it. Maybe I need to put a 50 back on my wallet so I'm ready. Very practical, right? Be ready. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Well, there it is. It's about not living for today, but living for eternity. It's about, it's about storing up treasure in the future. Right? That's what it's about. And we live in the moment. We all do. I do. I live in the moment. And I click Amazon, and if I don't get it tomorrow, I'm mad. <laughs> we all know how it is. I want my stuff, and I want it now. It's about having a mindset of knowing the importance of eternity. And living that way. Living for an eye to the future, not for the moment. There's a parable in Matthew 25 about the talents. Remember, one guy's given ten. Not, not like talents like I can sing and dance, but a, a big bucket of money. So one guy's given ten, one guy's given five. And the master says, okay, do something with it. 
be a good steward of this money. And the guy with 10 goes, and he gets 10 more. And the guy with five goes, and, and he gets five more. And then one guy, he's like a gnat and eye. He goes, buries it up back in the ground. And the master returns. And he says to the, to the guy with the 10 and the five, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now get this. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the master's joy. Living for the future will bring joy to your master Jesus and joy to you. You will share in it with him. And then the last thing, uh, right at the very end of verse 19, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Truly life. Really and truly what life is all about here. It's an amazing, amazing phrase. The Good Shepherd in John 10 Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. True life, real life, abundant life. And what did the good shepherd do? He gave his life for the sheep. Jesus had a life that was poured out in giving. And what are you and I supposed to do as people left here on this earth? We're to become more and more like Jesus. So if he poured out, shouldn't we pour out as well? And shouldn't that be the key to really living? You want to feel alive? You want to feel like, like, like God is real? I promise you, go bless somebody. Go bless somebody. So many people I've come across go through periods of depression and, and have really, really hard times. And I'm not minimizing that. I've seen so many of them take their eyes from themselves and go volunteer for hospice. Go work in a food shelf. And you come back to them in a month and they're a different person by giving and giving abundantly, you live and you live abundantly. You then know what life truly is. How many times have I bought something on Amazon thinking, man, I'm, when I get that tool, I'm going to be happy. Man, that's the one that's going to do it for me. Lasts about a day and a half, and then I want the next one. We know all this, don't we? We know this. I live it. I'm trying to not live it so much. And I'm trying to encourage you to do the same thing. The secret to true life, to abundant life, to joyous life, is to live a poured out life like Jesus. Jesus himself says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Remember what Timothy's all about. Devotedness, your heart set on God will change your conduct. And this is the same principle here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's everywhere. Okay, winding up. The last part. Okay, the last part. I loved how you read that, Ted. Oh, Timothy, you said. I love that. That's awesome. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of, of what is falsely called knowledge. For by it professing for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be to you. You read the Bible commentators, and they all say, yeah, this is a P.S. This is what Timothy kind of added on at the end, and it doesn't really connect. It's just a whole new thought. No, it's not a whole new thought. It fits in exactly. It's nothing new here. It's the same subject. It's talking about treasure. It's talking about something of value. You guard it. Yeah? Timothy says to them, oh, Timothy, Paul says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit. Are you starting to see connection here? Guard the deposit. It's not a new subject. He's talking about money. He's talking about the treasure that you have. And now he pivots and he says, there's something else. Before I close, I got to just say it one more time. Guard the deposit to which you were entrusted. It's another treasure. What could it be? Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Well, we get an idea from the context. He says, avoid irreverent babble, contradictions, things falsely called knowledge. It's, uh, it's about false teachers. And false teaching versus good teaching. You know, I can't help but mention this. The cesspool of the internet and social media will do your soul no good. It is vain, it is irreverent babble. It is contradictions that are falsely called knowledge. Of course, Twitter's all in the news. Some guy named Musk bought it the other day, right? So I read an article uh, in, in the New Yorker on uh, Twitter, just an interesting little article, and the title of it was Twitter is Already a Hellscape. <laughs> Twitter is Already a Hellscape. And here's a quote. In the middle of the article, the guy says, Twitter is already the Internet's premier fight club. Remember the old movie, Fight Club? It's already that. And then he says this, it thrives on vendettas, and it's driving emotion. Hear this. It's driving emotion is shame. Run from it. Run from it. It will do your soul no good. All this stuff out there. But the deposit. Paul says to Timothy, guard the deposit. What is it? 
let me remind you. Now listen to this. I am going to give you a quick two-minute tour of 1 Timothy and all the things that Paul says to Timothy. Chapter 1, not to teach any different doctrine. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, how is it? In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God to which I have been entrusted. Hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Some will depart from the faith, but receive with thanksgiving and know the truth. Timothy, be trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. That's chapter 4. Verse 11 of chapter 4, command and teach these things. Chapter 5, I charge you to keep these rules. Chapter 6, the teaching may not be reviled. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with, boom, godliness. Oh, Timothy. Oh, Timothy, my child of the faith, my son, guard the deposit, New King Church. Guard the deposit. We just talked about the teaching here. I am so thankful for it that we can go through the scriptures. Somebody said to me, oh, you're going to talk about money. Are you worried? No, I'm not. You guys are here to hear the word. Guard the deposit, the gospel. Guard the deposit. The gospel. The person and work of Jesus. If we are compelled and captivated by the gospel, by the person of Jesus, our conduct will follow. Now, I want to I pivot here to, at the end. I want to give you an example of giving very quickly. I want to run through it very quick. Um, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's talking about the Macedonians. So if you could put that up, Luke, that would be great. So I'm just going to walk down through here five verses. Verse 1, Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So they gave money for the poor. And what Paul calls it is a work of grace. Giving is a work of grace in your heart. Verse 1. Verse 2 says this, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Do you get that? Things were not easy for them. They were in affliction. And their joy, somehow their joy overflowed in extreme generousness. Amazing. They were giving in spite of their circumstances. And then verse 3, 
for they gave. <laughs> you following this? They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, beyond their means, of their own accord. Stop there. Beyond their means. I preached a sermon on this some years ago. You remember Buzz Lightyear? Remember Toy Story? And I had a little thing come up. To infinity and beyond. Talking about the Macedonians. They gave not just according to their means, but beyond their means. To infinity and beyond. That's an example for us. And then look at verse 4. Begging us. For what? Earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They begged to give. They say this is an opportunity. It's a favor to us. It's something that, that we, we want to be a part of. Will you let me give? Will you let me be part of this? They begged. How about that? Is that something or what? And then verse 5. And this. Now here's the key. Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, to us. What's 1 Timothy about now? I keep forgetting. <laughs> Devotion to God will affect our conduct and our giving. Don't write a check because you feel shamed. Don't write a check because you feel guilty. Write a check because you love Jesus. Write a check because your heart has been transformed by God. Do that first. And the money will follow. Right? So there it is, right there. So how do we give? What, a couple of words of practical advice on giving. What do we do? So um, there's really... I look at giving, there's two types of giving. There's regular giving, scheduled giving that you give probably every week. Some do, people do it. Maybe they get paid bi-monthly. They do it every two weeks. Some people get paid monthly. But it's kind of a regular giving. And then there's something called occasional giving. Okay, so I want to talk about both those. So regular giving. Um, here's what I say. This is Eric's words. I don't have big scripture to to, to back it up, I could probably find some, but give to the local church. And you guys are doing a tremendous job on that. Our finances are in amazing shape. We took a challenge last year to increase our giving by, I think it was 10%. You guys exceeded that. But there are some people, and, and listen, I don't, I don't know who gives and who gives what. I don't look at that. I never do. My heart is, is too sinful. I don't want to know that stuff. So I stay away from it. But if you're part of New King, if you consider New King your home church and you're not giving regularly to New King, how come? You just might want to ask yourself that. Why? Is there some reason? Is it, is it uh, has somebody offended you? Um, do you feel like we don't use our money wisely? Do you feel like you don't know where it goes? Do you feel like... Why do I got to do that? I, just prayerfully ask God. You should be giving to the local church. It's a really, really important thing to do. And then on a regular basis, consider personally some things that you 
that have come into your life that you may have personal connection with. It could be a missionary that stayed in your home one time. It could be a mission that means something to you. Uh, I don't know if I should say it or not, but I'm going to. Uh, Annette and I started giving to, uh, to the Yellow Door Ministry because there was a young lady that was here that touched our hearts, and we wanted to give to it. So we, every month we give a little bit to them. A missionary or a mission. It's really, really healthy. Something that you can be involved in personally. It's a really good thing to do. And then the occasional giving. When things come up. It could be a need that comes up. And, and that's all about being ready and being prepared. Somebody comes into church and you get talking to them and they make some comments like, I don't know how I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay the bills this month. Pull your checkbook out and write them 100 bucks. Do it. Be ready. Occasional giving. A need or a blessing. Take someone out to lunch and say, hey, you know what? I want to spend time for you. Let's, let's go up to Moe's and uh, I'll buy you a burrito and let's spend some time together. People have done that for us. I can't tell you the blessing that is to share what you have with other people. It could be, let's have a few hot dogs after the service today and hang out and have a hot dog as opposed to just getting rid of it. I mean, look for occasions. It's really, really important to do that. And in closing, I want to show you something absolutely, incredibly amazing. As 2 Corinthians 8 unfolds, Luke, you want to put those last two verses up? Get, just get this. If you can, don't take anything away, just get this today. In this context of the Macedonians giving, Paul says, I say this not as a command. So again, it's not, giving isn't something that should be a law. It shouldn't be I do it because I got to do it. It's because I want to do it. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. It's a heart thing, right? It's a heart thing. It's devotedness to God. We devote ourselves to him, and then we give. Now check this out, verse 9. For you know. Oh, new king. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you see what Paul does here? Do you understand what he's doing? He's taking the gospel and putting it in financial terms. Do you get that? The gospel changes everything, as Tim Keller says. The gospel applies to everything. And Paul here, in a chapter about giving, says, okay, I'm going to put it in financial terms for you, the gospel. We give because Jesus gave. Why do we put money in the bowl back there? Why do we do it online? Because Jesus gives. He became poor so that we could become rich. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these verses today. We thank you for 1 Timothy, for this letter that has come down to us 2,000 years old. 
and we see how alive it is and how helpful it is. Father, help us. Help us to have good conduct in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Help us to be devoted to you, Father, through your Holy Spirit. We pray that we have true godliness, devotion to you and to Jesus and the gospel. We ask this in the name of Jesus.